Well, hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we go through the Bible book by book in a way that is deep, but also easy to understand. If you would like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the Solid Life Whole Bible Reading Plan. We also have physical reading plans available in the church lobby every Sunday. Yeah, and with that, if you have any questions about the Bible reading plan, um, anything about what we're reading in the Bible, we would love to answer those questions. Uh, feel free to email your questions to info at grove.church. That's info at grove.church. Real quick, um, I do want to answer a question that we have had a few times in the lobby. Um, it is grove.church, not grove.com. Um, our domain is grove.church as a website. Um, and with that, man, we um, do a Q&A podcast, um, basically where we take all the questions from the month and we release it at the last Friday of every month. Yep. Um, and we try to answer every single question that's given. Uh, but with that, uh, I'm ready to hop in today. Let's start it off. Start it off. Uh, this week, we are kicking off the book of Numbers, which by the way, um, if you need a good Christian pickup line, you can always say, I've been reading through the book of Numbers and I noticed that that d- I didn't have yours. Um, that probably won't work. But if it does, info at grove.church, let us know. Uh, but moving forward... Um, the book of Numbers is actually called Numbers because um, there's two major sections of the book, and these two major sections both kick off with a census of the people or a numbering of the people, which is why it's called Numbers. So in chapter 1, we get our first census. In chapter 26, we get our second census. And so while it doesn't divide the book um, in half in the sense of it's exactly halfway through, thematically, as we're going through it, you will notice that um, that really is the dividing marker of the book. Um, the first census is numbering the first generation. So really the generation that we get to know in Exodus and Leviticus, those Israelites are being numbered in that first census, while the second census actually is numbering the generation after that. So you'll remember when we talked about Exodus, um, the generation of Israelites that actually comes out of Egypt, they see the 10 plagues, the Red Sea is parted for them, they see manna, they see all these different miracles. Those Israelites are not the ones who eventually make their way into the land that God promised them. Uh, Continuously what we see in uh, these stories is that they reject God, they uh, don't believe at certain points, and so God waits for literally that generation to die off except for Joshua and Caleb. Um, Evan, I actually do have a question for you, and maybe you don't know the answer to this. Um, when we are counting the people, is it just the men? You know, I actually, I actually don't know that. Yeah. Cause I know like when Jesus feeds the 5,000, it just says 5,000 men, not including women and children. Sure. And so I don't know. It was just a question that I, cause I'm reading here at the end of uh, numbers chapter one, it just says all those listed were 603,550. And so I was wondering, oh, maybe that's just men. And I haven't looked into that, but yeah, well, let's look into it and we can, uh, answer that more definitively next week. On the last Friday of the month. Or that episode. Um, But chapters 1 through 25 really tell the story of the people in that first census, and then chapters 26 uh, through 36 tell the story of that second uh, generation. And what we'll notice is that in the end of the book of Numbers, there's a lot more hope 
for that generation. That generation is much more trusting in God, and we will see that um, particularly in the book of Joshua when we get there, that that generation is the one that comes in and actually takes possession of the land that God had promised them. And the last thing to remember while we're reading through Levit- uh, reading through Numbers is that just like Leviticus, um, Numbers is very concerned with the sinfulness of man and the holiness of God. We're going to see uh, those two ideas put forward constantly. And the other nice thing about Numbers as well is that there's a little bit more narrative to it. And so we are going to get those long sentences where we see um, all the different divisions of the tribes and, and the people of Israel. Um, but we're also going to get stories and we're going to get to see a little bit of what's going on on in the camp at this time. Yeah, and with that, um, you know, just real quick before we move on from numbers, um, much like Leviticus, um, there's a lot of importance to just the detail. And so don't just read it as if it's a textbook. Read it for truth. There's a lot of truth hidden, or not even hidden. There's a lot of truth in the scriptures. Um, And if we always, you know, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal that truth to us while we're reading, it makes those sections of the censuses and the things that don't really make sense, it gives a lot more light into what it is. Um, And so with that, we are going to um, head to the book of John. Um, and today, um, I've been looking forward to this part of the podcast, uh, or this this week of the podcast, for quite some time. This is a strange passion of yours. Yeah, I don't know why I'm so passionate about this. Um, I've said it on the podcast before. Um, I had the opportunity in 2015 to go to Israel for about a month, and um, I learned a lot when I was over there about um, just some things that we kind of read into Scripture that aren't necessarily true. Um, and one of those things we're going to be opening up to John chapter 18. So if you, um, you know, are following along, uh, with our scripture, that's where we're landing today. Um, there's a guy named Pontius Pilate that we, um, you know, attribute to kind of this person who has his hands tied and doesn't really want to execute Jesus, whatever. I'm here today, unfortunately, to shatter that opinion of Pontius Pilate. You're an anti-Pilate activist. Anti-Pilate activist. Um, Growing up, every single Easter, we would read the story of Jesus being taken before Pilate and Pilate basically saying, well, you know, his blood is not on my hands. I have a few issues with this depiction of who Pilate is. And really, I think this is more passion for me than it is. I don't really think there's a lot more truth. <laughs> like, like this doesn't really have a big um, Bible um, like aha moment, but it's important to understand the context of the day. We always say that Pontius Pilate was appointed by Caesar. He was a ruler over the area. And because of this, um, we actually can get a little bit of, of just a, a, a view into who he is. And we've always kind of thought of Pilate as a guy who, like I said before, had his hands tied in the trial of Jesus. Um, on one hand, if he lets Jesus go, a riot might start, which would be bad. On the other hand, um, he knows that Jesus is innocent. Um, but one thing we don't really know um, just from the Bible, we have to look to extra biblical sources, aka history books, things like that, is uh, Pilate was actually a notorious, uh, a notoriously bad ruler to the Jews. Um, he was notorious for always imposing uh, Roman culture on the Jews. Um, I learned in Israel that essentially he was a suck up to both uh, Caesar and the Jews. Um, he wanted basically to play the fence. He didn't want to choose a side. Um, I mean, so much so that to please Caesar, 
um, he put um, not only Caesar's face, but other pagan gods, even on the currency. And this is his, how much his disdain for the Jews were. Uh, he put pagan gods on the currency so that Jews would essentially, 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 excuse me, violate the Ten Commandments by having other gods before Jesus. If they were in possession of these pagan gods, and essentially it was his kind of way of sliding the Jewish people and saying, "Hey, I don't believe in what you believe. This is Roman culture." And uh, you are lower than us. Uh, and we even see this. He went heavy on Jesus because he called himself king of the Jews. Uh, and he did this to appease Caesar and say how much of a good guy Pilate was. Caesar, look what I did. There's this guy who's claiming himself to be king, but you're the king. And so look what I did. I killed him. But also on the other hand, he is appeasing the Jewish uh, mob that basically takes Jesus in the middle of the night and brings him before him. And so we see Pilate, um, if we kind of look in the history, he's not really as good of a guy as we kind of have thought. Well, when we look, and when we look at John 19, uh, a really interesting section is starting in verse 12, from then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Yep. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out mm-hmm. and sat on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement in Aramaic, and kind of skipping through a lot of yeah. stuff here. And right after that, he delivers uh, Jesus to be crucified. Yeah, and and it's so interesting. And and we have a lot of issues with the account of Jesus's um, trial and crucifixion. And I don't mean issues in the sense of like um, understanding or even with what the Bible says, um, just the legality of it. Um, we see that Jesus was taken at night um, and was basically um, taken. It was a hushed trial. Like yeah, it was, not it was a public very thing. quick. It wasn't public. And so when we hear people uh, screaming, crucify him, um, it was probably people from the Sanhedrin that they had kind of just rallied some people together and hyped him up. I mean, mm-hmm. we look at you know, when, when, um, you know, teams win the Super Bowl or, or whatever, there's riots because, and some people just want to riot just to riot, you know? And so there's, that hasn't changed in history. We see that the Sanhedrin has probably hyped some people up and it was like, yeah, let's kill this guy. And so there was no fair trial. Um, it was done at night, which was illegal. Um, the, the people that they found were chanting, crucify him. It doesn't make sense, um, for the people not to release Jesus instead of Barabbas because they couldn't even come up with anything besides Jesus claiming that he was king. Um, Barabbas was a notorious murderer. He was part of uprisings, all of these things. It was all orchestrated so that Jesus could be crucified. And at the middle of it, we see Pilate seemingly innocently, uh, and the Bible says he washed his hands of this, yet still going through with it. He played both sides uh, because he was hungry for power, and that's really who Pilate was. In um, John chapter 18, we see um, this whole depiction of, at the end of it, he basically is asking the people, and in, in, in verse 38, Pilate is asking, what is truth? With this, he went out again to the Jews, gathered them, and say, I find no uh, basis for charge against him, but it is your custom for me to release one prisoner at the time of Passover. Do you, do you want me to release the king of the Jews? And the crowd ch- shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. It's like you see how just backdoor, secretive all of these things are because Barabbas was a horrible man. I'm sure if like they actually did this on public, it probably wouldn't have stood. Yeah, it's an interesting 
it's an interesting piece of history to look at for sure. And I think no matter where you land on pilot, one thing's for sure. He's is bad. That That's he, where you need to land. <laughs> uh, he knew that Jesus was innocent. He knew what the right thing to do was. And at the very least, he was a coward who did not do the right thing because of, because of the mob. Yeah. And so I, you know, I think, uh, it's it's really important for us today, even like, you know, we, we grow up um, and I think there's just certain ways that things are portrayed, particularly like, you know, I, I'm thinking back to growing up in a Christian home, like you're watching a bunch of cartoons and things like that. And so obviously it's dumbing it down um, a little bit for children to be able to understand. But we, we do end up with sometimes these false um, narratives about certain biblical characters that, that yeah. really – don't quite hold up when you when you actually look at everything that's going on. Yeah, and I and here's the deal. I don't think that in the grand scheme of things, the way you view pilot matters. But what I'm trying to stress to us is understanding context. I think that's the lesson here. It's not about um, you know whether or not pilot was an upstanding ruler. It's not about that. Why I say this is I do think it sheds a little bit of a different light on the story of the crucifixion. But on top of that, I truly believe that um, it just shows us how important context is. You know, there's so many times where we can read things into scripture. Um, and, you know, the reality is if we actually understand context, what's going on historically, a lot of that is alleviated. Um, but with that, we are actually wrapping up the book of John um, and we just wanted to end um, the book of John, and really, we just wanted to to end it at the very end almost. Um, real quick, let me grab my <clears throat> excuse me, let me grab my uh, my Bible here. And there's a there's a passage in John chapter twenty that basically in my Bible the heading is the purpose of this book. And I and we, as we were talking and preparing, we thought what a better way to, you know, end this section than to read what the purpose of the book is. Maybe we should have started with it. I don't know. <laughs> but it says this in John chapter 20 verses 30 and 31. It says now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now, just a reminder, this is written to um, Jewish b- people outside of Israel who... And, yeah, the reason we think, uh, or most scholars would, would say that it's written to to Jewish people outside of Israel is because um, within the text, there's a certain assumption mm-hmm. that you already understand Jewish culture, whereas yeah. some of the other gospels like Mark and uh, and Luke take more care to explain, well, this is why they're doing this. Yeah, which is why we don't consider John to be part of the synoptic gospels. Yeah, that's also part yeah. of it. And so it's just a good reminder that, um, you know, the Bible is not even everything that Jesus did. There, I think other other versions of the scripture talks about how it would fill volumes if they wrote down every single thing that Jesus mm-hmm. did. And it's just like, these are some of the highlights and just a reminder that, man, we serve a God who is so much bigger than just what's written down in this Bible. I mean, it even says here that there are so many other things that Jesus did. And I just think that's cool. I think it's awesome that, um, that he did so many miracles and so many signs and wonders that they were sitting there like, okay, which ones are we going to pick and choose? Because there's so many. Yeah. And so, and, and the verse you just read is actually echoed. Um, it's the last verse in all of John and that, and that's the verse we actually started off. And so I think it'd be fitting just to read it one more time before we move on. Um, 
Now there are also many other things that Jesus did, and were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. I think it's just it's just such a, a beautiful word picture yeah. of who Jesus is and what his ministry was about. Yeah. Um, but moving on in our Bible talk this week, we are also talking uh, about 1 Corinthians. So 1 Corinthians is uh, the first letter to the Corinthians, which is why we na- which is why we call it that. I always wondered that. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, and it's dated to AD 56. And so uh, this is written about 20 ish years after the ministry of Jesus, uh, depending on where you date the crucifixion. Um, And there is almost no debate uh, among scholars that Paul wrote this letter. And so sometimes what we'll see with some of the epistles is um, particularly um, non-Christian scholars will put forward theories that uh, they think uh, certain parts of letters were not written by Paul. This one, there's almost no debate because uh, only 35 years later, after the after this was written, uh, Clement of Rome actually mentions Paul as the author of this letter. And so just because of how close the dates are, and really for ancient texts, that's an incredible timeline yeah. to have something that testifies as to who Jesus is written less than 30 years after the event takes place. And keep in mind, less than 30 years is at this point, it's the nineties. If we want to think of it in our, in our own terms today. Oh man, that's scary. (laughs) That is scary because we were both born in the nineties. Yeah, I'm definitely, so in a few days, when, what is the date of this podcast? The date of, uh, see, now you're putting me on the spot. I know, I'm sorry, but I may or may not be 27 by the time this podcast comes out. March 23rd, ladies and gentlemen. There you be. Come on. (laughs) So, (laughs) And you just made me feel really old. Sorry, man. Um, but I, I do want to I do want to take a moment to say it's it's really important when we're looking at biblical scholarship because a lot of times, especially people who are not Christians who are wanting to kind of poke holes in Christianity, they'll talk about um, you know like they'll say things like the Bible was written hundreds of years after the events, which which is it's it's not true. Uh, the New Testament most of it is written within forty to fifty years mm-hmm. after. Uh, the events that take place in the gospels the latest book we have is revelation which is dated to less than less than 70 years after it yeah. all took place so um by today's standards we wouldn't really think twice about that um obviously we would think that there'd be more recent sources but if someone wrote a book about something that happened in the year um 1989 we wouldn't think of it as being just completely unreliable um and by ancient text standards it's incredibly reliable. And so the book of First Corinthians actually is really important because of that. Yeah. Uh, this letter was written while Paul was on his third missionary journey, and he planted the church while he was on his second missionary journey. So if we're looking through uh, the book of Acts, which right now as a church, we're actually going through Acts um, as a sermon series. So this is great to kind of follow along. Uh, on the second journey... Uh, missionary journey of Paul, he plants the church in Corinth, and then while he's on his third journey, uh, he writes a letter to Corinth, and we'll get to see a little bit of of why he's writing this letter. Uh, the letter is a fun one to read because the church of Corinth was kind of going nuts, and uh, and Paul's writing to correct them. It'd be like if you gave like a bunch of kindergartners like just sugar and put them in a room and didn't give them rules. It's, it's the Church of Corinth a it's little li- bit. It's literally like you'd walk into this chaotic scene. You're like, oh my gosh. And so um, the book kind of reads like uh, 
Paul's just slapping them upside the head. It's like, like what what are you doing? Like, what is this about? But um, and and honestly, these aren't laughing matters. Um, but just to give you an idea, some of the things that Paul writes to correct them about include um, people in the church getting drunk on communion wine, uh, people in the church also during communion just stuffing their faces with the bread and uh, just being gluttonous with it. Um, people in the church seeing prostitutes. Uh, people in the church suing each other anytime uh, that there was any real you know, conflict in there. And then uh, not limited to, but another one would be um, acting like some spiritual gifts are better than others. And so in other words, saying like, well, I have the gift of such and such. I bet you wish you had this gift, idiot. <laughs> and so uh, that's a paraphrase, but that's totally how. <laughs> that's the other ESV, the Evan standard version. Listen, that is exactly how uh, first century Greek, first century Greeks talked. So I don't know why you're poo-pooing that. But anyway, as we as we read through 1 Corinthians, we're going to see um, a couple different themes. Number one is Paul kind of reigning in this church um, with a lot of their excesses, and also um, really just the supremacy of love. And one of the most beautiful chapters of the Bible is in 1 Corinthians, and we get it because Paul is really writing to correct the church and to tell them to check their motivations. And this is particularly with the spiritual gifts debate that they're having. Um, he says, look, you can have all the gifts in the world. None of it matters if you don't have love. And that's where we get the chapter where love is patient, love is kind, it is not envy or boast. Like, you know, if, you, if you've been to a wedding, you've heard. Yeah, I was heard... going to say, did you have that in your wedding also? Uh, you know, I don't think we did, actually. We <laughs> we had it. Uh, we didn't even realize it was going to happen. It's a great yeah. – it's, 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 it honestly is like no, no exaggeration. It's one of the most beautiful passages of, of the Bible that we have. Um, but – Paul is getting at this idea that if we don't love others, if we don't have love in our hearts um, for our Christian brothers and sisters, but also just the world in general, it doesn't matter how many gifts we have. It doesn't matter how well, like even just bring it today, how well we can preach, how well we can sing, all these different things. Yeah. He even says in in chapter 13, and, and we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, but he says, um, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not charity – I am becoming basically a clanging symbol, mm-hmm. meaning like there's no substance. It's just annoying. Like I'm a drummer, and if you just keep hitting a symbol over and over and over and over, it's not doing what it's supposed to do. It's not adding to what. <clears throat> excuse me. It's not adding to the the music or whatever he's saying. If you just are doing these things and you don't have love, then you're literally nothing more than a clanging symbol that's kind of just annoying to people. And with that. Um, we're actually going to be going into the book of Psalms. Um, Psalms is honestly, I don't know about you, Evan, but I've been loving like just going through the Psalms lately. Yeah. Um, it's one of those things where I haven't ever really just sat down and systematically gone through. I've always, I've always done like a proverb a day and five Psalms a day. Then you read through Psalms and, uh, proverbs in one month. That's kind of what I used to do uh, growing up. Um, but it wasn't ever like I, I growing up, guys, here, real talk, real quick. Like when you are like a 20 something, you know, 16, 17, whatever, sometimes you just read the Bible just because you know you have to. And you just kind of go through it. And instead of getting any information out of it, you're just checking the box. And so um, a lot of times I would miss out a lot on the Psalms, but I've actually been loving this going through and and not necessarily going over all of the Psalms every single week in this podcast, but actually taking some time and um, 
really just kind of diving deep into it. And today we're actually going to be landing in Psalms 136. Um, and me and Evan love this psalm. We grew up, we were 90s church kids, and there was a song, His Love Endures Forever. And in the in the song, it basically was like, give thanks to the Lord. Turn some turn some effect up on my voice. Oh, you got it. Here you go. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever, for he is great. No, so we're just gonna he keep going with it. Love all things. I'm going to cut us off. Oh, sorry. His love endures forever. And then we sing, bring praise. Anyways. It is beautiful. Thank you for that. Yeah. Watch out, Jordan Munoz. I'm coming <laughs> for your job. <laughs> And Psalms 136 is actually where we get this song from. Um, I love it. It's a worship psalm. And I think these are – maybe it's the season of life I'm going through right now. And that sounded way more dramatic than what it is. But I am always needing to remind myself of who God is and his promises. And and the reality is sometimes we can get so caught up in doing ministry that we forget that we do it for the God of the universe. And Psalms 136, as we were just prepping this last week, it just is such a good reminder. And we're going to read it. I, you know, we're going to read all of it. It's it's a little, maybe not all of it. We're going to, we're going to bounce around, but uh, it's, I don't want to read 26 verses over the air, but let's just read a little bit of it. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who alone does mighty miracles. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who made the heavens so skillfully. His faithful love endures forever. And what I love about this is um, the phrase, his faithful love. His faithful love endures forever because there are moments in our lives, ladies and gentlemen, where we feel as though either uh, God doesn't love us, that he is far away from us, that we are alone. And this is a reminder of who God is to us. He faithfully loves us. He is with us every step of the way. And the, the, the whole thing is a lot of people will focus on what he has done. Whenever I read this, I focus on his faithfulness and how much he loves me because there are moments in ministry. Evan, I know you can relate to this and I know every other person who's ever been in ministry can relate to this. There are moments where you feel like what you're doing isn't good enough and what you're doing, you know, like you feel like you just want to give up sometimes. And this is a great psalm to come back to if you're in that situation too, of you're feeling like maybe God is distant from you or that every single time you try to do something, it's just not working out. Just remind yourself that his faithful love for you endures forever. Yeah, you can't, when you're reading through this psalm, particularly if you're reading out loud, uh, you can't escape saying it. Let's, I mean, we can count them really fast, 25, 26 times yeah, 26 over and over times, again. Yeah. It'll have you repeat it. And it's it's such an important thing for for really all of us as Christians to keep in mind that God's love endures forever. Well, with that, that, uh, that wraps it up for another week of the Let's Read the Bible podcast. We are a podcast 
of the Grove Church, but we are not the only podcast of the Grove Church. If you would like to check out all of our other podcasts and resources, you can find them online at our website at grove.church. And while you're there, uh, whatever device you're using, however you're listening to us, if you could do us a favor, uh, just leave us a review. It really helps us get the podcast out there and really build this community of people where we can read the Bible together. Uh, Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week.